It is another episode of What Do I Do Now, Season 3, and this episode is something I've wanted to do for a while. I know I hinted at it with uh, Tawanda Braxton. She wanted to do Battle of the Sexes, but I'm like, nah, I don't want to necessarily go that route. But I definitely want to talk love, specifically Black love, and also being a career-oriented individual in a very demanding field. But in the meantime, between time, I got to introduce my guest for this show, Dwayna Haley. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. You know, we love to chop it up, talk we shit. Do. So let's do it. <laughs> this is this is what we're gonna do, and this is an episode I know that's definitely gonna take on like a life of its own. What exactly do you do? Please share your insighting expertise. So I am in PR and marketing and have done so for almost 20 years in the agency, in the business of agency, which agency is client service. So I would manage a Fortune 500 portfolio of brands in very disparate or divergent industries. So my focus primarily and my passion is B2C or business to consumer marketing and communication. So I would work with, say, just making a McDonald's, like when we met, I was working for McDonald's and my job was to create the strategy and execution for them to have deeper saturation in the market, more consumer preference as a quick service restaurant, more on trend and aligned with culture. So coming up with both the strategy in earned media, so where, where I was pitching them out and the stories I was coming up with, and also in marketing activations, where should they be showing up? so that they create that disruption and sort of white space opportunity for themselves. So I've done that now for almost 20 years and mostly in the corporate space. And I have a lot of people that'll reach out to me, you know, because my user ID or now my trademark is ask the PR girl. And so they're like, oh, I need a publicist. I need a publicist. Yes, we're in the same family. But what a publicist does is for individual talent. And what I do is build brands. So I like to tell people the difference is when you went into the supermarket and you picked up Coke versus Pepsi and you think, oh, no, I just I like Coke versus Pepsi. No, you don't. You like it because I've been doing the work all behind the scenes to make that brand top of mind for you so that when you got to the store, you picked up one versus the other. That is my job to move consumer beliefs and behaviors for the benefit of brands and building profitable brands. I mean, that's kind of why you're on the uh, PRSA 40 under 40. That explanation yeah, PRSA by PRSA and PR week, yes. Excuse <laughs> me, let me get it all together because the resume speaks for itself. But we got to start and go all the way back to the beginning because some folks, you know, they know you as, you know, this incredible, just award-winning agent in media across all like representing the city doing it all but how you met me is like literally you might have been like the first professional contact i ever made in atlanta that's how far back we go dead serious it's the final four um i was still interning at the time so i'm producing on site but for um cbs radio at the time and you know you had your bundle of joy in your stomach still holding it down Yes. Doing it. So I want, how do you recollect that moment? Let's go all the way back. This is like 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Yes, it was 2013. I had actually just found out, like before um, activating with you all, I had just found out that I was pregnant with my baby girl. 
And it was crazy because I just remember being like hella exhausted. And I'm like, but I got all this stuff coming up with, you know, NCAA. But yeah, so we, I was working at an agency at the time at MSL. And uh, part of my um, accounts that I led was McDonald's and specifically the Greater Atlanta McDonald's Operators Association, which is the co-op of Atlanta, regional Atlanta owners and operators. And with Final Four coming to Atlanta, they were like, we really want to do a media partner. We really, they had been working, uh, we've been working a little bit with Big Tigger and they're like, how can we activate on site? And I'm like, okay. So I went and begged, borrowed, still did anything I could to get Reggie to pay attention. I was like, I don't have a whole lot of money, but like, they really want to do this. And so, yeah, he let us um, kind of collaborate on um, what that kind of footprint and activation would be on site at um, Final Four. And it was amazing. I had like, well, that goes to show how professional you were, because I had no idea, one, that you were interning at the time, and two, that that was kind of one of the big um, first big things that you were doing. So that's crazy insight for me. But yeah, I just remember meeting you and like immediately we kind of just hit it off. Like we had known each other for forever. And I was just like, yeah, this is like one of those people that I, I just want to keep throughout my life. Like, <laughs> no matter where Sam is, like I just kind of want to be in that number. A lot. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And it was more so just that might have been like it was like my big first corporate thing um mm. with the radio station so seeing how i've seen it on a smaller scale when the station was doing something but when you bring a national partner like mcdonald's into the mix mm -hmm. and you bring it into a huge event for the city like the ncaa final four you know it really gets no bigger than that so yeah so kind of seeing it and living it and breathing it that was the one louisville one and now that has an asterisk next to that one because apparently they were doing some improper things but right nonetheless we were <laughs> We were down there broadcasting live and it was a great time. I, I literally gone throw that picture up for Throwback Thursday this week. Cause okay. yes, we have to, I'm, I'm gonna have to unearth that and go back. But here we are and you know, your daughter's getting big, you're mm -hmm. happily married. And when I say the fast track on, in regards to your PR, everything you've been doing to where you are currently, I feel like there's sacrifice that comes with that, I know mm -hmm. you just celebrated a birthday, and I know those are points of reflection for a lot of people. And in regards to this most recent birthday, how do you feel from 2012 doing that and just kind of like, we really just want to align ourselves with this, you guys, and we, we want to make this happen yeah. to currently, like basically curating, like, no, this is what we're going to do. We want you to be a part of it. If you're not, it's your loss. Like, mm -hmm. how do you navigate that transition? I think that I have been um, really mindful about the relationships that I build along the way and making sure that those relationships aren't transactional. It's easy for that to be the case when you're in PR and marketing because you're either paying for something or pitching for something and you give, I give. Um, so I really try to do my best to create, you know, valuable, value-based relationships with everyone and whether I have something to give at the moment, you know, making myself available along the way, you know, keeping in touch with people and not just reaching out only when, you know, I have a need or, you know, feel again, feel the the priority for a transaction, but, you know, checking in on people and 
you know, just um, making sure that folks um, that I merchandise what I'm doing, find out what they're doing, you know, just really trying to create valuable relationships. I think that in this past, you know, um, 10 years, there has definitely been a lot of um, shift and movement and even propelling in my career. Um, and I think that beyond creating, you know, those valuable relationships, I'm also becoming more and more uh, unapologetically myself. And rather than being in a proving ground, which I felt like I've been on a lot throughout my career, like I'm constantly proving, I consider myself a challenger brand. So I always get in there and try to make sure that I prove, prove, prove. And now I'm like, yeah, no, I've been at this for 20 years now. And so when I say it's a thing, it's a thing now. You choose to believe it, choose not to, choose to say, uh, well, I don't know if she's credible enough for me, so be it. But I am no longer externally defined. I'm no longer externally looking for any level of validity or any sign off on what I bring. The proof is in, you know, the pudding of my resume and, you know, again, the relationships that I'm able to bring to the table. So I just feel a lot more confident and sound and just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm okay with where I am and hoping that, you know, other people see it, but if they don't, that's okay too. You know, what's for me is for me. Definitely. And I definitely want to kind of narrow in on the relationships factor because in our industry, it is really, your success does rely on the relationship. People you can call when it comes to things that, you know, work and would make sense and would align with their brand and yours, but also, those negative relationships that do come about the ones that fall out the last minute and mm. then they're right back in your face the next week like oh my bad about this but can we still how do you navigate those relationships um both positive and negative the positive ones are i mean they're pretty easy i think people see my um they see my heart they see my um you know they they i think people have a pretty you know, strong understanding of who I am and how I move because I always move in authenticity and transparency. I'm, I'm very um, clear about what I know. I'm self-aware and what I don't. And I, and both of those things are strengths for me. So, um, you know, I put it all out there and, and let the, the universe, the world or whatever do the rest with it. For the negative relationships, I think that, you know, I go by the age old wisdom that, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. I have definitely had to do business with people that, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, mm -mm, you don't ever get this chance with me again. But unfortunately, that's not how business and opportunity flows. And I think that, you know, it's very important to understand how incestuous business industries are and people that you think you never have to deal with again will somehow, some way, shape or form come back around so I do my best, try not to burn bridges, but I also go in with my eyes wide open and ears wide open, you know, and I navigate those relationships differently. I contract them differently. I have a certain, a different level of setup around, you know, here's what we're doing and here's what expectations and level setting is just because I'm aware of how things could go rogue and go left. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm here to put on for my family and, you know, make ends meet for us. So I don't turn down 
an opportunity unless I know for sure it puts me and my professional reputation and the credibility that I've built in harm's way. And if there's still an entity there that's saying, no, you have to work with this person. Like, no, I don't have to do shit but stay black and die, pay these taxes and raise these kids and love their daddy. The rest of it, you know, can be on someone else. And I think when I was coming up in the game, I felt the need to carry that mantle that other people would put on me but now I'm like, no, I, I will self-select. If I feel like I can do it and make my way through it and it not harm me, then sure, I can make it work. But if I feel like there's no trust there and this person has returned to this relationship and I know regardless, I can't trust what's going to happen, then I'm never going to put myself in that position. Uh, but you actually touched on family earlier on. and I definitely want to circle back to that. Um, as a professional that is thriving in every sense like all cylinders on go you do have the task of being a mother as well you raising two black children both a boy and a girl yes and what is that like for you in this in air quotes post pandemic life that we are living currently yeah i think that um I Earlier on in my parenting with my husband, I think that I was always trying to find work-life balance. And I quickly realized, um, probably after having our daughter, which is our second child, um, that work-life balance is a complete sham. It is. It does not exist whatsoever. What does exist is the power of choice. And so what I understand now about my life is that there are going to be moments in which my career and what I am doing from a work perspective is my choice to prioritize. Conversely, there are going to be moments in which my career and what I do on the day to day has to take the back seat because being a mom and wife has to take priority in those moments. And so I, I don't attempt really to balance anymore. What I try to do is make sure that I feel good about the choice that I've made and that I am, you know, highly effective in communicating with my husband about, hey, this is, I feel a heat coming <laughs> with work and I got, I got to tap out. So I need for you to tap in and be lead parent at home and, and take up, you know, the slack because I got to dial in here you know, to, to make sure that I show up well for work. And then conversely, I will go to work and be like, Hey, my, I, I got to be here for my children. I don't miss recitals. I don't miss games. I don't miss the things that are really critical. Um, I'm not giving up vacations for, to be there for work or whatnot. And so I just, I just try to, I, I try to live the life of choice and prioritization. There are times when those things are going to flip-flop and it, and I don't look to balance them. I just make the choice and feel good about it. So work life is a sham. It's a myth. It is a big rumor that just they push it and it makes that's something that I've even had to address in my own life where I'm like I want to, you know, hopefully one day start a family and this that and the other, but am I going to suffer on the work side cuz genuinely when I'm in a relationship, the work suffers. It's just mm -hmm. like you, you become enamored and you want to be all in with them and let them know that they're a priority. But um, love don't pay the bills and no. they don't take IOUs. No. Um, Georgia Power will cut your stuff off. Right. Um, yeah, it's that. I mean, people got to be paid. Rent don't get paid by you know. Hey, you know, I got a, a good debt for you. Like that's not gonna work. So. Yeah. And your partner should understand that, like the the love and the infatuation and that honeymoon phase and all of those things, it's always going to be there. 
Um, and it should if you are both doing the work every day. But, you know, I never asked my husband to sacrifice anything in his career for us as a family, because one, I know um, who he is down to his core and I know what it takes for him to do what he does. Um, and, and he knows the same for me. So I think our partnership is one of picking up the slack for each other when necessary, but also making sure that we don't get lost in that. So, I mean, the thing that you're rushing back to that you're sacrificing when you're, you know, feeling that lovey dovey and just want to be all wrapped up and everything like that will always be there. That chick will not. And so at the end of the day, you know, the that sometimes has to take priority in order to get done. It's not an always on. There will be moments where you can take your foot off the gas and kind of lean into home life a lot more. But you certainly can't go about it trying to balance the two because one will always not be served in that. There is no such thing in balance. Like you just, you make the choice, you take care of the heat, and then you go back to the other and you volley back and forward. All right. So now to get personal, because you are both professionals, you guys both um, met each other and realized, okay, this is somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I'm going to make decisions with and hopefully one day bear children, which you have. Mm -hmm. um, how did you find that, like, okay, I'm choosing you. And I'm also wanting to make sure, like, these, the opportunity in life I'm still having for myself. Because I don't want to lose myself in you. I yeah. still want to make sure I'm an established professional. But how did you both navigate that um, early on? Because, of course, it's going to evolve with, you know, promotions and things like that but from the very ground level floor when you first met I'm like okay mom there's this guy mm -hmm. and you know he may be your son-in-law like right. how did that go yeah I think that um Brian my husband he's very much the yin to my yang so I am extremely ambitious um i'm i'm loud i'm out of the box i am adventure and all things like rah, at all <laughs> at all times and my husband is very even kill like at all times if there were a frequency of our lives i am the up and down and all over and the fireworks and he is that that pulse that that tone that they check at the beginning to just make sure that, you know, life, you know, that the, that the frequency is, can be leveled. Right. So mm -hmm. he is someone who very much so anchors me and helps me to put, keep my feet on the ground. So I think that in the beginning, 20 years ago, when we met and decided to start dating, I think that I recognized that I was just like tired of the excitement and, you know, the short lived, I will say excitement that came from the dudes that come in and want to, you know, love you down and love you, but like bring all of the, the toxicity to your life. And here was Brian, this salt of the earth. Like I want to, you know, when he first told me what his dream was, it was like, I want to get a good job. He wanted to be in, you know, government, which he is now. Um, I want to go to work and come home to my wife and like, take care of my kids. And like, that was his dream. And I'm like, okay, that I can live with, you know? Um, and so, yes, we have learned along the way. And it both evolved along the way. But I think I recognized that, you know, the calm of his frequency was something that I was going to need in life to keep my feet on the ground. And it was also um, a, a stabilizing kind of force for me 
that made it feel like I could have wings to go and do anything because I knew that he was always anchoring home. He was always anchoring us and that we were always going to be okay because of that. And so I've, I've often said to people, we make fantastic life partners. The big things in life, we don't really trifle over, like our religion, politics, decisions for the children, financial, all of those things. Like we've always made those decisions easy with each other because we kind of have the same values and perspective on things. It'll be the small things that we trip over and be like, what the hell? Who are you? Why? You know, but because the big things, the deal breaker things are not things that we have issue with. The smaller things are just kind of easy for us to get over. We just are like, okay, uh, it's no big deal. Moving on. All right. So it's the basically the small formalities of life that we all come across, whether it be, you know what, you let the toilet seat down and mm-hmm. it got pee on it. That's that's yeah. that's what we're doing today. Like it's yeah. Putting it's the clothes the- beside the hamper and not inside. Like, I, I, I shit you not, I slapped him out of his sleep once when we first started living together because I woke up and was going to the bathroom and we were living in this tiny apartment in Los Angeles, not a pot to piss in between us. And like, I had gone to Bed Bath & Beyond. I was so excited. I'm cohabitating against all moral fiber from my mother. I'm cohabitating because I'm grown as hell and can't nobody tell me I ain't gonna live with this man. And I've gone to buy this hamper and I set it there in our bedroom as a wicker basket lined. I'm so proud of it. And every day he would come home and put his stuff beside it. Would, would close, the lid would be closed, put it on top of it, put it all around it, but never like lift up the lid and just dump the stuff on the inside. And it made me so mad one night. Like he was sleeping so calm and peacefully. And I like, I just started hitting like, the fuck you doing sleeping so damn calm? You done left <laughs> all over the place. You're making this place a disaster. Like I was so mad. But like it's stuff like that, that we'll end up arguing over if we argue at all. But nothing about like, you know, world shifting things. This is the first, like, real, like, I felt like I was there. The, how you just told that story and how that triggered that memory. Because, I I mean, it was a, something small, like, pee on the seat. Because I know, like, you, if I would come in the bathroom and I sit down somewhere, oh, it, we got to fight. I don't care who it is. My brother, my nephew, my god kids, we got to fight. Like, bruh, yeah. it don't take nothing to wipe that off. But you really came, like, very, very guns hot with the, the the story about the hampering. Yeah. I think to this day he probably has PSD. Yes. yes, of course. And he does too. And so and even now still, we still might have that challenge. The seat doesn't always go down. Like, you know, but we're also 20 years in. So it's kind of like, am I really trying to like tear down the house for that? No. Like I'll give him a, a look like, come on, man. You know, but we also have four bathrooms and so we can choose to use whichever one we want like i just don't i just don't choose to create that strife over those things anymore but early on i was like i can't stand you for this like ladies and gentlemen i just want to mention the casual flex of the four bathrooms like she can literally decide (laughs) if you can like you know what go to your restroom today i don't even want to look at you like you go to the guest one i'll keep this one like you know the kids can use their own like fine just go somewhere else and you know like whatever 
the life of a homeowner. One day, I hope they get there. But in the meantime, um, we're going to stay in this apartment living because the housing market right now is shit. Um, moving on. Um, I definitely want to tap into... It sounds like there's not a lot of conflict between you two. I think you have a great communication system um, together. It seems like you hold each other, you know, accountable and emotionally aware that, you know what, hey, I, I need to not like, you know, really trip over this. But in the instance where, you know what, there's something that he may have forgotten, something he may have missed or something you have missed. Um, how did you handle those moments where I'm like, I'm either I've messed up, he's messed up, you know, what am I finna do with you? Like, and you opt, apparently not have never opted out and been like, you know what? We got the time Brady and Giselle doesn't activate, you know, the prenup, but yeah. you know, you, you just, you're in that moment. It's like, Oh, I'm steaming. But how did you maneuver through that? I think fundamentally I, I understand and know the heart of the man I've married. And I know there's never a situation like our first, um, my first Mother's Day, I had my son Noah in January of 2010. So that made Mother's Day in May of 2010. And he just completely forgot, didn't buy me a gift, didn't like it came to the end of the night. And he was like, oh, you know, and I was super hurt by that because I'm like, I'm like officially, officially like a mom now. Um, but, it, but again, I think I, I understand down to the core, the man that I've married. And I know that this man would move heaven and earth if it meant sparing me any pain in this life. And that he is, he has shown that in, in act and deed many, many time over. So at the end of the day, when something like that happens and a person just doesn't show and he doesn't just show up the way that I would have hoped he could have or would have, I, it makes it easy to apply forgiveness and self-checking like, you know, okay, yeah, you wanted this, but like, is your life still good? Is there any clear and present danger here? Do you feel like he would receive from you? Yo, my feelings were hurt. And I know all of those things are yes, I, he would, he would absolutely receive that. So I don't, I just don't, I try not to allow my, any of the petty that you can feel in a moment that can be very disruptive in a relationship. I try not to let those things get in the way. And I certainly know, I feel the same from him. We have evolved and changed a lot in 20 years. And I think that is actually the net new challenge of our marriage is that we've got to stop making decisions based on past predictions that were accurate and really give space for the evolution of who we've become today um, and kind of relearning each other in that way. And that in itself can be a tough, but also a really fun discovery process if your intent is to actually learn each other. So, yeah. That's a very, very insightful word. There's a lot of gems dropped in that because it I don't think anyone is in the same space that they are or not supposed to be 10 years in, 20 years in, in life. So you have to be aware that, you know what? Red was once my favorite color. Not so fond of it now. That's not to say that, you know, red still isn't a great color. It's just like my love of understanding of what I like, what is may not, you know, I want to associate with is where I'm at present day. And I think yeah. that you both being aware that, the growth that you both have done together and also separately is essential to everything you're bringing forth um, in your in your personal life. 
Absolutely. It's essential to us. It's essential to our kids. Um, just every part of life. Like I, there, I'm very honest with him in that there is a part of me that is just mine. It's just mine. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the children. It doesn't belong to any of the hats that I wear. It's just mine. And that space is a space that I reserve for me intentionally because the woman that I am can't show up in the roles that I play if I don't care for that essential part of myself. And so, you know, that's hard when you have to say that in a marriage or you say that to other people. It's like, what? You get married, you leave the cleave, you're one now. Yes. But I, a part of what attracts him to me and what he loves about me is my ability to fill and wear all of those hats like I supposed to, to be, be able to show up in the way that I'm supposed to. And I can't do that if I'm not nurturing my core being. So there is a part of me that I keep to myself and I kind of make sure that I'm nurtured. And if there's time when I need someone to come in and kind of play a role in that, maybe, but by and large, I'm, I'm good there. And that way I can show up for him. I think that's very, very special that you guys have that, but I also want to make sure I touch on the black parenting aspect because I feel that right now there's a more open space um, to talk about child raising and how like, okay, I need to be aware of my child's mental health. I need to be aware mm -hmm. of, you know, just checking in with them a lot more than say maybe our parents or previous generation has. So yes. what are you and Brian doing to making sure that both of your kids are as happy and healthy as they can be, especially coming out of quote unquote again, a post pandemic <laughs> life. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we have from the point that we decided to have children, um, I think it was important that we raise free black children. Right. And that, that is a, a constant struggle because we were both raised in the South and that comes with some very traditional hard set views on, you know, what manhood is, what womanhood is, and all of these things. And those are just things that I never wanted to pass forward to my children. I really wanted them to have the freedom to define who they are. And fundamentally, Brian and I have always felt that, you know, we are the vessel and a protective entity in their lives. But God called to order their lives. And when he did so, he did so with such a purpose, one that he may or may not have revealed to us. Our job is to protect them on the journey until he takes, until they are, you know, he takes it from there, right? And so I don't want to be imparting what I think you should be. And Brian shouldn't be imparting what we think you should be. It's like, no, we're going to nurture and foster the gifts and things that you see, the versatility to try different things, to be different people until you land upon the ability of, nope, this at the core is who I am. This is who God is telling me who I am. So we try to keep them connected to, um, you know, a spiritual perspective and a spiritual foundation. And then beyond that, it is, you know, being guardrails to make sure that they don't crash and burn um, before they reach whatever that calling or that life's purpose is for themselves. And we trip over that often all the time, you know, because it's, it's innate that you, you see your kids doing like, no, don't it. You're supposed to. And then we have to, we have to go back and literally apologize to our children. And we have many times mom and dad got that wrong. That's coming from our stuff and how we were raised. That ain't, that ain't the lick. That ain't the move anymore. 
I apologies. And I think that us humanizing ourselves in that way with our children has opened up the door to trust and them feeling a space of trust that I they can navigate and kind of figure out what they want to be, who they want to be and, and what that means in the world. So um, we're doing our best to really keep up with that. Um, and the world is rapidly shifting. I never thought I was going to be the parent that'd be like, that wasn't how it was when I was coming up and back in the day, but I am firmly there now with everything that's <laughs> going on. I'm like, that is not how it was when I was coming up, you know, but they're in the age of information. They both have phones and can access things all the time. So you have to rapidly catch up to that as a parent, you know, I didn't have, if I wasn't watching it on TV or hearing it on the radio, there weren't computers in my classroom. I didn't have access to info like that. <laughs> so yeah, we, you kind of have to shift if you want for your children to really be successful um, and more importantly, happy in life. That's insightful and a part of life I've not yet reached, but I think that's an intelligent dialogue to have with someone who does have the kids, who does have you know, the experience of just knowing that, hey, we're going to make mistakes. And then it even admit to that is huge. Like there's conversations yes. I've had with my parents and I've had to be like, look, I'm not holding this against you because you only had the research that you had. But right. Let's revisit this because guess where I'm at now? Exactly. I'm a full, I'm a grown ass man. And guess what? Some of this shit wasn't right. Yeah. So it was like, you know, let's let's have, you know, as a as adults now, someone that I'm, you know, making a life for myself. If we can go back and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to understand why this was. And if yeah. we can have honest dialogue about it, I feel like we can both grow from this moment. Now, yeah. I'm not going to say it's always been easy to have those conversations with your parents because it's, it you very rarely can't is. really parent your parents. It's, right. it's just what it is. But I feel that in the black community, if we have these understandings that, hey, I may not have been been all the way right, but I only had the resources I had. So I'll give you I one. You spanking. spanking was a big thing, right? Beach kids, spank, spank. And I, I was raised a spare of the rod, spoil the child. Like that was the era. And I think that my, it was my brother, right when we were about to have, or right after we had had Noah. Um, and he was like, in what other circumstance in your life can you hit a person when they're wrong? And what, as an adult, in what circumstance in life can you hit a person when they are wrong? And I was like, well, you, you can't. So what would make it right for an adult, a person of power, of power and being to hit a child who is defenseless against that when they are wrong? In every other part of life, we have to talk it through. We have to do all these conflict resolution or whatever. You can't go up in your job smacking people up when they don't do what you want them to do. You don't teach people in that way. And so I'm not exactly sure why we have even substantiated that with religion and Christianity to say it's okay for us to hit our kids. And that was a huge eye-opening for me. It was a complete about face because I had every plan on being spanking like I literally was like no you you want to know how hot it is let me show you how hot it can get you know but with that small nugget a really big nugget of wisdom we sat down Brian and I, and I was like okay that makes complete sense to me we are not spanking whatsoever and we haven't 
And we have not been any less effective in being able to let them understand that fat meat is greasy when they get rah-rah around here. Like they know, don't try me, okay? I'm I'm, I'm about this new age parenting, but I can revert. You want to go there, we can go there. (laughs) Like they know I'm not the one you try and neither is your father. But at the end of the day, that was something that I'm like, okay, we're not going to do it. And that, I mean, that's had all kinds of like my grandparents, parents, like what? You're not going to, how you going, how you going to make them kids understand? You're going to talk to them just like I'm talking to you now, period, you know? So yeah, parenting has changed. It has shifted from what I was taught and how I was parented, but, um, but it works, you know, when you are intentional about it. That is something that I've now got to swallow and I might have to apologize to my nephew and my godson, you know, had to tune them up a few times, but it's I like, mean, you know, I'm just, look, and I'm gonna put my nephew's business out there. He pulled my fire alarm when I was up here at work with mom. And she's <laughs> like, you gotta, hey, I'm not gonna do it. You gotta, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to the firefighter right now. You got to come home and handle this. So I understand, because I ain't gonna lie to you. Like before I did that, we had the conversation. I'm like, what made you do that? Well, I, yeah. I need to, I need to, you gotta bring me to your point of view. Cause at no point have we ever told you to pull that. We didn't, we ain't walking around stores and malls and pulling fire alarms. You know how serious it is. So it's like, nah, help me. Like you gotta make it make sense for me. Yeah. And then I got in that ass. I ain't gonna lie. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, and then I got in that ass, but it's. I feel you. That, that feel is you. a concept that, that I feel that like. Yeah, yes, that, it'll that happen, and they will push you to it. But at the end of the day, I also want to. This world is so ready to penalize punitively our children, specifically our black children, for the things that they do, up into death, and like. We are, we are, we are, we say that we want people to recognize us and see us as whole, full beings with the intellectual ability to understand right, wrong, and everything in between. And then when we deal with each other as a people, we treat each other the same way our systems treat us as a people. And my thing is, is like, I understand that, like, there are times where, like, I felt the backhand, like, I felt, I felt my pimp hand raise up. I'm not, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not immune to feeling like a tune-up is necessary every once in a while. But I'm also recognizing that I, my children are, are smart, you know? It challenges me to get down on their level to understand what's happening. Also to be able to communicate the harm that was done. And then exact penalty that is not in fact a diminishing of who they are as a person to hit you to strike you you don't remember a lot of the lessons that were around that striking but you remember being hit and my thing is is that my children can tell you on a number of occasions the times that mom was disappointed and be brought to tears and they've never been hit because it was the challenge was for me to communicate that and then yes what the penalty is which is You may have lost your PS5 or whatever it is for two weeks. And no, you're not going to this and that. And nope, you're going to have to do your chores and no allowance for two weeks. And like, whatever that might be. But we understand, I understand fundamentally that the hitting part is the part that feels oppressive 
to me. And because it's not a rule that I can follow anywhere else in my life, I can't, in fact, tell my children that it's okay for it to be the rule for them and no one else. So job low, you know, whatever, coworker, or even your father can piss me off and I don't haul off and beat them. But you, you do something and the corrective action is to hit you. It just, it, it's something that I have had an awakening of. And I am not at all faulting or chastising anyone who still believes in spanking. Everybody's got to come to their truth and what works for them on their own. I know many of us were raised that way and we ended up fine. But for me, I've had a new awakening. So I'm trying a new thing. Until, you know, I, I, when, I, when I feel the pimp hand come up, I just, I grab the wrist and I pull it, pull it back down, you know? <laughs> that is incredible. And I definitely appreciate you sharing that with me and my audience. Um, I definitely don't want to miss this moment to recognize a Black-owned business that you happen to be dining and that I'm familiar with, Messing a Bottle. I've ordered from them many a times. If you can yes. just please let me know um, what shirt you're wearing, because I... The shirt, I love it. That I'm, the shirt that I'm wearing says a black woman created this. Yes, I have it in gray. Yes, yes. I, love it. I love it. I have it for me. I have one for my children. It is definitely a conversation piece. And interestingly, I actually met Kalila, who is the owner of um, Mess in a Bottle, back in 2016. We both were at a blogger conference. And this is when she was kicking off the whole business. And she was just like, I don't know, it's a t-shirt company. People don't really feel me. And we sat at the table together every morning over three or four days for breakfast, just talking about it. So once I saw her business start to build and even the setbacks that she's had when her store was robbed in Baltimore and like all these different things, I have been cheering from afar. I probably buy a couple hundred dollars from her, you know, every year just to make sure that I'm supporting what she's doing because I saw the the genesis, you know, when that seed was planted and she was, you know, deciding to leave her big corporate job to bet on herself. So that story means a lot more to me to support that black owned business, just because I know, like, I remember hearing the self-doubt and all of the things that she was going through uh, to make it happen. And I'm just so proud of where she is right now. So shameless plug, make sure you check out this black woman's brand because she does, not only just does t-shirts now, she's got the the apparel, the stuff for the house. Everything is A1. So yes. shout out to Mess in a Bottle. Um, I must just speak randomly, speak a future partnership at some point in time. I'm just going to do it. Yay. And guess who's going to have to doctor the situation and proctor the situation? Um, that's a PR girl. So anyway, um, yeah, got got to keep it all, the black dollar circulating in the households. Um, before we know we wrap this thing up, I definitely want to thank you. Um, I've literally been able to look at you and your husband's blueprint that you share through, whether it be posts, whether it be videos, whether it be things on LinkedIn. Um, and I've told you personally that like this dark skin and viv love that y'all have is <laughs> something I literally aspire to have and attain in my personal life. Now, that's you know as chaotic as can be often um dating is ghetto no one's daughter wants to act right but i still do believe in the idea that you can have it all because in my opinion you're someone that has been a or you're someone that is in a space where my kids are healthy my marriage is successful 
everything I touch and associate myself is going to win. And that's not something you see all the time. I feel like in Atlanta, especially because it's Atlanta, you see that, um, you know, whether it's in your doctor's office, whether it be at the airport, whether like wherever you may be, but it's to know someone personally and to be able to share, like, to see, like, look at them traveling, look at them together and this, that, and the other. And uh, Puka wants to do this this week. Like, it's it's just all, it it means something to me. I love it that you know we call her Puka. Come on now, come on now. This is is real. This, again, for those, and I'm just going to put it out there so it's on for record for years and years to come. I'm the fake baby daddy. That's right. I, I, I need everyone to stand, be correct. Love Brian, the whole family, <laughs> but I'm the fake baby daddy. And I feel when she's too successful, I let her know, no, I need everything I've given you back because I'm not giving you anything. I'm going to need double. Oh my God. And have been since I was pregnant. And literally, like, I remember, I don't even know if you remember this, but like, I was feeling so exhausted when we were on the show floor for NCAA. And like you walked around Envy one of those times and was like, yo, you need to sit down or something. Like, I don't want to get up in your space or whatever, but like you starting to look like, I, I don't know, like what's going on. And I don't think at that point, whether or not you knew I was pregnant, but like you saw that like something's going on with old girl. And like from that point, I was like, yes, I, I do need to sit down. Like I, I am doing too much right now. And that's, I think when I told you that I was pregnant. So yes, you have been and will always be the fake baby. Fake baby daddy. daddy talk about it. I don't care what Tigger say. I don't care what none of these Negroes are out here saying. I've been there long before even she knew she was there. Yeah, that's like, right. For real. It's, it's a genuine and honest, fun friendship. It's one that is just as much regard or respect as I can possibly give anyone, but especially when it feels like family, it has been a beautiful story to watch unfold. And again, to raise free black children is not even for, for society it's heroic, but for someone that's a product of an incredible black mother, incredibly black father that were made in love. Like it's just, it hits different when you get to see it elsewhere and you just want the, the tribe to continue to flourish and continue to put out great human beings that are going to continue to like make their own name in their own right. Yes. So it's just been yes. a beautiful, beautiful like bird's eye view and being able to like share this moment with you. Highlight of the, the month year, I'm just going to put the decade <laughs> that we've, you know, this, I feel like the, the intern that was there and just was like, you know, I, hey, we're going to make sure everything is good. Hey, she's looking kind of sweaty right now. We need, hey, you should good. Like, you know, being aware and just, you know, making sure everyone is on the same page. But man, it's, I'm glad it's come full circle in this moment. And we were able to share so much information that yes. um, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm full right now. Mm. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for just being very honest and vulnerable and, being triggered along the way, um, you know, because it sounded like you had the hands for Brian. Um, and I just like, personally, I know I need to pick up my clothes off the floor now. Like I got- oh, well, I, I, I've learned better. You learn better, you do better. So he not being slapped out of his sleep no more. But yeah, that's one memory from 20 years ago that still sticks with me for sure. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing where you can laugh about it now. And I know Brian just every once in a while, he got the little Tourette jump. And it's like, when you come around him and, and sleep like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he thinking like, you're just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. I, I, I will say thank you. I'm so happy that 
one, you know, we have maintained our connection, whether it was from a distance or we talk all the time or not, or time spans. Like every time we do, it's always like we pick up like no time has, has passed at all. And I will tell people for anybody that does like follow me on channels or see my life or LinkedIn or whatever, I post what I'm comfortable to share, always trying to do so in transparency because I don't believe in curating an existence so so that you feel some level of affinity and affinity and awe for me. But do know that like this choice, this walk, well, I will actually say this walk with Brian, with our children, it is a daily choice. And it comes with struggles that we don't always broadcast, but it is a daily choice. And that is fundamentally why we are still here 20 20 years later is because every day we wake up and say, yes, I choose you. And whatever comes with that in the day, which includes being selfless and, you know, really looking to make sure that we are taking care of each other in it. So I love that people feel and see the Aunt Viv dark skin love and everything, but understand that it has absolutely been about selfless love. And it's been one of me choosing him and him absolutely choosing me every day, no matter what. That's a beautiful way to end the episode. I am grateful to have had this incredible, impactful um, awakening with you this evening. Um, is there, how can they follow you? How can they reach you? If you even want to at all, because some folks are like, mm, no, don't Please do, please do. I love the community that I can build. I love to have conversations with this. So yes, follow me. All of my channels are ask, as in ask a question, ask the PR girl, ask the PR girl. And I'm that across, that is my trademark. I own it. So if I see it and it's not, if you see it and it's not my brown face next to it, let me know that too, because that's a lawsuit. <laughs> Hello. Talk about it. Yeah. But please do come into the community. Let's create community with each other. I love it. We're going to do that. This has been season three of What Do I Do Now? And we'll be back next Monday with a brand new episode. I promise. This, the, the conversation only going to get better. <laughs>